0: If you have a Bible with you, please turn with me to Matthew 5 and then also to Romans 10. So uh, Matthew 5 and then have a finger in Romans 10. The words also appear on the screen behind me, but I want to encourage you to, to look in your own Bible, to follow the scriptures in your own Bible, to be familiar with where things are. Matthew five thirteen to 16 says... You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. But on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works, and give glory to your Father, who is in heaven. And then if you would turn now to Romans 10, we're going to read verses 19 to 17. Hear the word of the Lord. So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. We thank God for his word.
1: Uh, So our reading this evening is from 1 Peter 3, 8 to 17, and I'll just give you a moment to get there in your Bibles. So that's 1 Peter 3, 8 to 17. Finally, all of you. Have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called, that you, may ob- that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. But in your hearts honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behaviour in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil.
2: Well, it is uh, good to be with you uh, this evening once more, and uh, as Craig mentioned earlier, we are just doing a a one-off sermon this evening, Uh, and it kind of ties in a little with what we had this morning as well, which I'll mention uh, briefly about that later, but just to give you a heads up of what we're going to be doing in future weeks. So as you can see uh, behind me, uh, starting next week, we're going to be taking a tour through the book of Joshua. So I thought uh, we'd go check out my namesake and see what that's all about. So yeah, looking forward to doing that next week. And uh, It's kind of a, a unique uh, part of the Old Testament where we see uh, God uh, bring his people. Uh, into the promised land, the land that he'd been promising them for uh, generations up to that point in the story. So we're going to have a look at that and really see uh, God's faithfulness as he brings those promises to bear uh, for his people uh, under a a faithful leader named Joshua. So that's starting next week and we'll be going through that uh, probably for the next couple of months. Uh, as well. And then I should say uh, also uh, for those who are here who also come along to our morning service, uh, next week we're going back to uh, the Gospel of Matthew, uh, which if you were here with us last year, we spent a bit of time working our way through that Gospel. Um, we're returning to it next week in the morning. So uh, if you're a morning service person, make sure to look out for that. If you're not, I encourage you to think about coming along uh, next Sunday morning uh, and get into Matthew with the rest of us. It'll be great. Well, uh, it was one of the scariest moments of my life. At the time, I was a a mature-aged student, uh, just beginning his time studying theology at Trinity uh, Theological College here in Perth, which is a great college, as I'm sure many of you are aware. And uh, one of the things that I learned uh, as I was there, uh, starting as a full-time student, was that each year groups of students would head off for a week to do ministry at various places around Perth and sometimes even overseas. And I discovered in that first year that I went there to study that I had been assigned to be part of a group heading to one of our local universities Now there, the plan was that we would help out the local Christian group uh, on campus there who were working among the student body. And once we discovered what we'd be doing while we were there for the week, well, that's when the fear started to kick in. Why? Well, because I discovered that for the vast bulk of the week, the one thing I would be doing, the one thing I reckon that makes so many Christians shake in their boots. What is it? walk up evangelism. Now that's, uh, in case you don't know what that is, It's uh, the name's pretty straightforward. It just means you walk up to strangers and start talking to them about Jesus. That's that's basically the, the whole name of the game. And so immediately upon learning that this uh, is what I would be doing, my mind went straight to like the worst possible scenarios. So uh, this is what's going to happen. I thought, what if I, I botch a simple gospel presentation? And what happens if... Someone doesn't want to talk. I say, Hey, do you want to talk about Jesus? And they say, no. What happens then? And worst of all, what happens if I try to share the gospel with someone and they, they laugh at me or, or they, they get angry when I try to share? What what happens then? Is, now, I wonder, is that something that ever enters your mind when the topic of evangelism is raised and when you think about what evangelism looks like? Is it something that makes you quake in your boots like it did for me uh that moment well maybe that's the case for you if you're here tonight uh maybe it's not uh, either way what do we need to know about evangelism in order to keep doing it anyway and what do we need uh how can we improve our practice if we're going to be evangelizing how can we get better at it or as a uh, We've mentioned uh, here at church over the last couple of weeks, we're about to embark on a six-week study uh, in our church Bible growth groups in the next few weeks. And that uh, study is called Six Steps to Talking About Jesus. And as the title suggests, the study will walk us through the why and the how of sharing our faith with other people. So in line with that, well this morning we had a sermon from Mark, he talked to us about, uh, faith and sharing our faith and the kind, what our faith really is, uh, that it's not a a blind leap in the dark, but that it's belief in God's promises and the, the evidence for his promises. Okay, and tonight, well we're gonna be thinking a little bit, uh, more about it, but not so much about what our faith is. But rather, what do we need to know in order to be effective in sharing it with other people? Okay, So there's three things, three truths I think you need to know about this. Okay, Three things. Number one, evangelism is normal. Evangelism is normal. Number two, evangelism is difficult sometimes. Evangelism, difficult sometimes. Number three, evangelism is possible for every Christian. So let's get into it. Now, one of the passages in the Bible that speaks of evangelism, there's a number you could go to. One of them is uh, from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Uh, um, And so uh, it's here that the Apostle Paul, who writes the letter, uh, describes all those in the church that God has given word gifts to. Now, that's that's, uh, people that he has called to speak the word, to uh, declare the truths of the Bible to others. Now, on that list, who should we find but someone called an evangelist? There it is there behind me on the screen. Now, that is someone who's been specially set apart to use the bulk of their lives uh, to proclaim the message of the gospel, often in like a paid or like fully supported capacity. Okay, so try to imagine in your mind maybe a street preacher, like you might see in, the, in uh, Hall, uh, Hay Street Mall out in our city, right? Someone like that but they're doing it 12 hours a day, six days a week. Right? That's the sort of thing that an evangelist uh, would be, according to Paul. Now, the trouble with that description, of course, is that uh, as a result of reading it, we might be then tempted to think, oh, okay, well, the evangelists. there are people are specially called to evangelize. Well, let's leave the evangelism to them. I don't feel particularly called to do that. I better leave it to those who God has called to do so, who are better equipped at it than me. Better to leave it to those people. But this fails to recognize a critical point. That is, there's a difference between the position and the practice Now, Paul, in this letter, Ephesians chapter 4, he's talking about the position of evangelists, which only falls, yes, to specific people, those that God has chosen, but the practice of evangelism, which the evangelist does, well, that falls to every Christian, no matter your skill set, no matter how perhaps well-prepared you feel to do it. And so if you keep reading the passage in Ephesians chapter 4, that's what you see, because those with word gifts... Well, they're not there to do all the work, but actually, as Paul says, they're there to equip the church to carry out the work. Okay. So let me read to you from Ephesians four, starting at verse 11. Okay. He writes this. And he, that's, that's Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to do what? To equip the saints for the work of ministry for building up the body of Christ. And so that means that those in the position of evangelists, well, they're, they're not just to proclaim the gospel, but to train the church to proclaim the gospel as well, right? It's, it's every Christian that gets to do the practice of evangelism. That's a normal part of Christian life. And we see the same thing in other places in, uh, in Scripture. So, for example, in 1 Peter chapter 3, that Ariel just read for us. There, Peter writes uh, about how the church can live when surrounded by a world that hates Jesus. He writes this in verse 15. He says, But in your hearts honour Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defence to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Now, Peter's saying uh, to the church that evangelism is a normal and expected part of life. And get this, he's saying that that's the case even when it's really, really difficult to do, which is sometimes true, right? That's the second truth of our uh, what we're saying tonight about evangelism, that, that evangelism can be really difficult, And that's what the letter of 1 Peter is really getting, it's what it's all about. Peter writes to a church that's experiencing all kinds of persecution, all kinds of hard times. Indeed, in the verse just after what I just read then, well, Peter talks about those who might slander you or those who might revile you. That sounds a little like where our culture is headed in the verse before what I read, he talks about suffering for righteousness' sake. Right? That's what it was like then in Peter's day. And yet, even though that's the case, he encourages them to give the reason for what they believe and to do it with gentleness and respect. So not to bite back, but to do it in a loving manner. He's doing something that UK evangelist Rico Tice Calls a uh, cross, crossing the pain line, right? At every, uh, it might not be, oh, to be willing to experience some pain in sharing the gospel with another person. Now, it might not be painful for everyone as we do evangelism. Maybe, uh, you get that unique experience where someone just walks up to you and says, Hey, I want to be a Christian. What do I have to do to do that? And I know some people who've had that sort of experience, right? But that, that's kind of definitely more in the easy bucket. But for most of us, and this is what we see in Scripture, this is what we see uh, as we look around us, for most of us, the practice of evangelism will involve crossing the pain line. Evangelism in our culture is becoming more and more like the culture that Peter was writing into in the New Testament, where, where Christianity is reviled. And yet, even though that's the case, we are encouraged to keep sharing the news of Christ even though it's likely to cause us some pain. Sure, not the the same pain that uh, Christians in other parts of the world uh, would suffer, where they face physical persecution, that their lives lost, etc. But still, the, the persecution we might face can hurt. I mean, just ask... Uh Andrew Thorburn, we talked a lot about him uh, a couple of months back, the former CEO of Essendon Footy Club, who only lasted a day when it became known that he was uh the connected to a conservative church in Melbourne. Uh he wasn't even trying to evangelize in, in that case. Right? he wasn't even trying doing evangelism and, and he copped that level of flack. He lost lost his job or had to quit um his job. Uh, that's the kind of world we, we live in right now in the West. So our world has changed significantly in the past 50 years and the result is there's more hostility towards Christians. And so that means uh, if we're not careful or our fears, our worries, our, our concerns about doing evangelism, well, that can stop us from perhaps even taking the very first step. Okay, but like we've seen, it's a normal part of the Christian experience, even though it can be difficult. So, with that in mind, I want to talk specifically to the, those who claim the name of Christ here this evening. And if you're here tonight and you're not a Christian, then I ask you just to bear with me. You'll get a hopefully you'll get a sense as we go through this next part why uh, your Christian friends like to talk about Jesus, or maybe why they don't like to talk about Jesus. Uh, But what I want to do now is to get a little bit more practical. This morning, uh, we talked about our faith and and what that means and what that looks like. Tonight, I want to talk about how do we share it. So I want to spend a few minutes going through some practical tips to help us to see that evangelism is possible for every Christian. No matter our backgrounds, no matter how confident we might feel about it, uh, it's possible for all of us. Okay, so here's some uh, practical tips to help you. I'm going to list uh, five of them. Okay, number one: live out your faith. And okay, live out your faith. Now, this is probably the best thing that you can do if you're looking to evangelize people around you. Now, the, the whole point of uh, being a Christian is believing and holding fast. Uh, to the gospel as something that is good news. In other words, the whole point of being a Christian is to say, I believe the gospel is something worth seeking after. It's something that must grab me as a person, as a human being. Right? But if, for whatever reason, the gospel hasn't grabbed you, if it hasn't made a, a distinct impression upon your life, well, then no one's going to notice that about you. No one's going to notice a gospelness about you and about your life, will they? And thus, no one's going to ask you questions about it or be interested to engage with you about it, right? But if you are actively living out your faith, if you're doing what the Apostle Paul says will happen in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, where he says, we're to walk in the good works that God has prepared in advance for us to do. Well, if we're out doing that, living out our faith, Well, as we do, we're going to be bound to be uh, asked questions about why you live that way. Okay, that's going to come up. You will stand out. I remember a time, uh, my previous job in IT, having a conversation with my boss one day uh, in which the the topic of tithing came up. I can't remember how it came up. Uh, We somehow started talking about it. I mentioned that uh, I gave uh, regularly to the church that I was going to, and she was a bit confused about that. And kind of thought, why would I do that? And I responded, well, it's it's all God's to begin with, right? I'm just giving back a bit of what he first gave to me. And I, that conversation sticks with me because I remember her surprise or how she was struck by that. Maybe she wasn't expecting uh, me to say that. And she was kind of like, oh, she thought for a moment and said, oh, yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, and uh, like I said, it stood out. It, it stuck with me because I think that stood out for her. It was a simple conversation. I hadn't planned to kind of do that. It just came up in conversation, but it was a moment where I was able to talk about my faith, about the way it impacts my life, and I, I believe, as far as I can tell, that it stood out for her. Okay, so that means for every Christian, right? That's something that we can do. That means that growing as a Christian, having that as a key thing in our life, is vital. Right, as you as you come to church each week, as you attend Bible studies, you read the Bible on your own, as you pray, and as the Spirit works in you, His promise, God's promise, is that He will shape you to be more like His Son. Okay, we can read about that in Romans 8. Okay, His promise is that as you trust in Christ and walk with Him day by day, He will shape you to have a more and more Christian life. So really That means the number one thing that you can do practically to improve on uh, doing evangelism is to seek to grow to maturity in Christ. And as you do that, as your life becomes more openly Christian, the, the natural effect of that is that more people will take notice and more people will be likely to engage with you about it. Okay, So live out your faith. Number two, this one's pretty straightforward. Uh, learn a gospel outline. Okay? Learn a gospel outline. Now, there's an old uh, Benjamin Franklin quote. I believe it's attributed to him that goes, "By preparing to, oh, sorry, by failing to prepare, you are preparing to fail." All right? I think you've probably heard some um, version of that. Now, that's certainly true when it comes to uh, sharing the gospel. Okay? If you don't do any preparation about this. And then the moment kind of presents itself where you have an opportunity to share the gospel, you'll find that difficult if you've not done any preparation. And so rather what we want to be doing is learning beforehand a a clear gospel presentation uh, before that moment comes, before that moment comes along. And it will come, right? It will come for each one of us at some point. Now, part of the reason why um, I have a gospel uh, presentation kind of seared into my mind is because of that week where I ended up doing heaps of uh, walk-up evangelism, right? So I had to, I had to learn kind of on-the-spot one, and I the early uh, my early chances to do walk-up that week weren't that great, because I hadn't done the prep beforehand to learn a gospel presentation. But by the end, as I'd done it over and over, well, praise God, they got a little bit better. Okay, and so... Now that's stuck with me because I've done that work. So my point to you is don't wait until you're forced, until an opportunity suddenly appears to, to share the gospel with someone. Okay. Instead, go and learn a clear gospel presentation now when there's no pressure, when you can take your time, and then when the moment does come, you'll be much better prepared and in a much better position to actually present the gospel clearly. And so that obviously uh, leaves the question, what should I use? Now, there are a number of uh, great examples of uh, clear gospel presentations, and one that we uh, talk about here often is the one called uh, Two Ways to Live. I forgot to grab one of those. They're out in the foyer, and we've got plenty of them out there. Uh, so that's an excellent uh, short uh, version of the gospel that you can uh, easily memorize and um, use in your own evangelizing. Uh, but there are others as well. You could, uh, you could use the model that goes creation, uh, fall, Redemption and restoration, uh, which you might have heard of. I can talk to you more about that after the service if you like. Uh, then the evangelist I mentioned earlier, Rico Tice, an uh, English guy, he suggests using another model where you talk about identity, mission, and call. So Jesus' identity, Jesus' mission, and then the call he gives to respond to what he has done. Okay, so that's another relatively simple one. Identity, mission, Call, cool. uh, but even you could go even more basic than that and just pick a well-known verse from the Bible that explains the gospel. So something as easy as John three sixteen, which you might already remember anyway. Right? that's a pretty straightforward verse that gives a, a clear idea of what Jesus came to do. Or you could try other ones like Romans three uh, twenty three and twenty four, or even uh, Ephesians two three to five. There are plenty of examples. Okay, the point is. Do the work now to get prepared for that time when the opportunity comes along, and you'll be in a better chance to make the most of it. All right, number three, what about if you've done all the work, right? You've done all that work to prepare, but then you realize the opportunities haven't really been forthcoming. Like, I'm ready to go, I'm raring to go, but I'm not really getting any opportunities. What do I do then? One option is uh, to increase the chances of having gospel conversations is to do something called merging your universes. Merging your universes. By that, I mean get your non-Christian friends and your Christian friends. I'm sure everyone here has uh, different groups of each. And mix them, right? Merge them together. Merge your your non-Christian world and your Christian world so they mix together. Right? Now, this is a tip that I got from this book here, which I've got a, a shot on the screen behind me. It's called uh, How to Talk About Jesus Without Being That Guy. And it's uh, by a gentleman named Sam Chan, who's a uh, evangelist over in Sydney. So it's an Aussie book, which is a bit unique in the evangelistic book market that's out there. Um, and he says uh, that one of the things you can do is to merge your universes, and this is really worthwhile, he reckons. Why? Well, he says, because of the power of community. Right? There's a power to the, the type of community that you belong to. What he means by that is our community, the people that we connect with most regularly, they often play a big part in determining for us uh, what we believe, Right, so he uses this example. He talks about how uh, in the UK, the, uh, the UK voted in 2016 for Brexit and the result of the vote was uh, 52% in favour and 48% against. And here's what um, Sam writes about it. He says, Analysts believe that those who voted in favour of Brexit mainly had friends who were also in favour of Brexit and those who voted against Brexit mainly had friends who were also against Brexit. In other words, our people voted according to how their group of friends voted. Their group of friends mainly determined how they interpreted the evidence. Now, this is called the power of community. And what it means is that when we take time to merge our universes, merge our non-Christian world and our Christian world, as more of our non-Christian friends connect with our Christian friends, well, their community then becomes more Christian. Right, and the first result of that is bound to be that there's going to be more opportunities to talk about Jesus. And even if, if now your non-Christian friends have more Christian friends, now you can do it as a team. Now it's a team effort rather than just you versus all your non-Christian friends. Okay, and, and the other positive of this, of doing this, is that as the non-Christians community becomes more Christian, well then it also means the chance that they actually come to believe the same things increases right? because their community has changed. They know, now know more and more people who believe the same thing. Now, you're, you're, now, I'll say as a caveat here, your community doesn't impact the truthfulness of a belief. Right? Christianity is true regardless of how many people believe it, but it does have an impact on the believability of it. Okay, and so if non-Christians are surrounded by lots of Christians who hold, uh, who believe the claims of Christ, then for those non-Christians, the believability of it goes up, all right? So the, the point is, merge those universes and look for, and you'll, you'll see the extra opportunities coming forth. All right, number four, what about, how do I get into a conversation? How do I, when I'm in conversation with someone, how do I kind of uh, push the conversation to Talking about Jesus, because I think sometimes that's a tricky thing to do. Maybe, uh, maybe you've known someone for a long time, you've got a deep relationship with them, but you've never actually, it's never come up in conversation and now you're not sure how to actually get there. Well, again, going to to Sam here, he suggests asking deeper questions, making that a regular thing that you do. Okay, so he says, maybe you've been really good friends with someone, but you're kind of stuck in, uh, what let's, let's call, uh, the, the awkward zone, the friend zone, uh, with your friend, uh, where if you try hard to kind of evangelize them, then you fear that you'll push them away, right? You're trying too hard. Or on the other hand, you don't do anything and then you lose the opportunity to, to evangelize them at all, right? So maybe you're in that sort of position. What do you do if that's you? Well, Sam suggests he says, Ask what he calls nudge questions, questions that encourage the conversation to go a bit deeper. And that way, once you reach the right level of depth, now you can more easily get to the gospel. Okay, so I've got some examples up on the screen behind me. Okay, Here's some examples of those sorts of questions you could ask. What are you looking for in life? Who's asked their friend that sort of question recently? Uh, What about, um, why is this important to you? Uh, What are you looking for in life? Why is it important to you? Uh, What's the one thing in this life that you absolutely must have? And then, what happens if you don't find it? Uh, That's bound to bring up some good conversation. Uh, What about, uh, tell me about some traditions, some festivals, some celebrations that are really important to you? Or uh, what faith did your parents... Raise you with, that's another goodie. And then you could just straight up go, what do you believe about God? I'll ask that one. You're bound to get into good conversation then. Now, and the point of these questions, right, you ask these questions to go deeper. But then once you've done that, the, the response, what you're, uh, you're, you're to do once having asked those questions is to listen really carefully for what their response is. I mean really listen, okay? Don't just kind of nod your head but be thinking only about what you're going to say next. No, no, really listen to how they respond. So if they pause and you just you pick up your glass, take another drink, and that's like a subtle kind of nonverbal cue for them to keep talking, right? You you keep talking, keep listening until they've said all they want to say about it. Because then what you're doing is you're showing uh, by really listening to them, you are connecting with them on a deeper level, showing that you can be trusted and you're more likely to open up better conversations with them. Right? If, if I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation like this. If you feel like you've been heard by the person uh, talking with you, like you've told someone something, you feel like they've really listened to you, you're much more likely to listen to them when they start talking, aren't you? Is right? that quid pro quo. And so the same goes here. Ask the deeper questions and then listen really carefully for their response. And who knows what God will do with that. All right. Now I will say that there are plenty more things that could be said in this space. Okay. Heaps of different tips that we could give you. And I could spend talking, I could spend ages talking about this, but just, uh, we just don't have the time. So I'll say, uh, there's also a uh, great benefit in using um, the resources that are out there. Right, plenty of books on this topic. I've mentioned already the one from Sam Chan that I've got here. But there's also uh, the one by Rico Tice that he put out, which is called Honest Evangelism. Uh, and then also a, a little bit of an older book, but still a goodie. It's called uh, Know and Tell the Gospel by uh, John Chapman, who was an evangelist working over in Sydney uh, for much of last century Okay, now these are all books that I've referred to in part uh in part tonight but they're all excellent resources that'll help you to think a little bit more deeply about the the how and the why of evangelism. But the final thing to say as we kind of bring things to a close the final thing to say is this pray and okay, pray I think that's the, that's the thing to be doing. See, uh, we can all have like the best tips, the best practices for our evangelistic efforts, and that's that's important, right? We want to uh, do our best in those uh, sphere, in that sphere. But at the end of the day, we got to remember it is Jesus who opens up the eyes of the blind, and we read him doing that in Scripture, right? That that's something he does multiple times. He's the one who can open the eyes of the people that you evangelise, that you share your faith with. And so the one thing that uh, kind of sits over all of our own efforts when it comes to sharing our faith, the one thing we all need is a reliance on the Lord Jesus to bring people to know him. And so, so I want to encourage us all, if you're here tonight, you're a follower of Jesus, I want to encourage us to be like uh, the Father that we read about in Mark chapter 9. Um, so I don't want to actually get you guys to turn there with me. So if you got your Bible and turn uh, to Mark uh, chapter 9, we're going to re- read just a little bit of that passage starting at verse 22. Mark chapter 9 verse 22. Now this, um, so this father that uh, Jesus interacts with, uh, he he has a son who's at risk of death uh, due to, uh, I think, the influence of evil spirits. Uh, and then he meets Jesus, and that's what this passage of Mark chapter nine is about. And when he does, that the father says this uh, to Jesus. This is in the back half of verse twenty-two. Uh, read along with me. He says, "But if you can do anything." Have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, If you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. Now, the father's talking there about uh, Jesus coming along to, to heal his son, right? So, but the principle is the same. Right, if we, uh, This is the attitude that we want to have when it comes to sharing our faith. It's all too easy to think it's just too hard. Evangelism is too hard. Or I'm going to mess it up. I'll botch it. Or the the people that I share with, they just won't believe no matter what I say. I don't know. There's some truth to all of that. There's varying degrees of truth to all those things. But the one thing we have to remember is that Jesus has the power to bring anyone into his kingdom by faith. Just like he could heal uh, that boy, uh, the the son of that father, he can open the eyes of any uh, any people that we might know. Even the most hardened, uh, ardent atheists that we might know uh, can have their eyes opened by Christ so that means we've got to believe not in our efforts, although we should do our best with our evangelistic efforts, but believe not in our efforts but in Jesus, in what he can do. We do our best. We put these uh, tips into practice. Uh, but ultimately, we've got to ask him to be at work in the hearts of those we know who don't know him. And that is despite the worries that we might have, despite the fears that we might have about doing evangelism, despite the anxiety it might cause us. I think that reading uh, the scripture, reading what we know about Jesus, encouraging us to say, let's trust in him. and Let's trust in him and let's say, I believe, help my unbelief. Now let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we, uh, we ask you uh, to help us uh, to trust you when it comes to our evangelistic efforts that we have. Uh, you know uh, the chances that we have, the, perhaps the chances that we've already had uh, where things have gone well or maybe where things have not gone so well. Uh, we're thankful that you give us these opportunities. If we're here tonight and we're, we're, we haven't had many opportunities, would you help us to think about uh, how we can be creative in looking for those opportunities. And when they come along, would you help us to trust you, to trust that you can bring anyone to know you and that you use us as weak and flawed vessels to bring about your purposes. So may you give us boldness, may you give us confidence in your power, and may you give us the right words to say when you give us those opportunities in the future. We pray this in your name. Amen.